Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Don Ma in for Stephanie. Here are today's top stories. At least three people dead, over a million left without power. That's as a massive winter storm is engulfing the U.S. and now moving eastward. Nearly $2 trillion. That's how much it costs to avert government shutdown this year. The House sent the bill to the White House this afternoon. Millions of dollars went to a number of LGBTQ centers and museums and an Obama trail in the state of Georgia. What else is in the bill and what's been left out? After 18 months of investigation, the January 6th committee releases its final report. It accuses former President Trump of trying to overthrow the 2020 presidential election. It turns out that Twitter is not the only social media company that has collected cash from the FBI, but the agency won't disclose who else they've paid. And powerful testimony as the trial in Kerry Lake's lawsuit came to a close yesterday. Did Lake prove the election was intentionally botched? What did the judge say? Huge parts of the U.S. are under weather advisories as a serious winter storm brings extreme cold, snow, and more. At least three people are dead and over a million left without power. More than two-thirds of the U.S. population are under an extreme weather alert on Friday as a deep freeze envelops much of the country. At least three people have died in Kentucky, two of them in car accidents, and one was a homeless person. On Friday morning, Kentucky's governor urged people to stay safe. Stay inside. Stay off the roads. Uh, the last second shopping is not worth it if it would cost you your life. In New York State, officials put a driving ban in place for the Buffalo area. Across the U.S., around 1.5 million customers are without power. That's according to PowerOutage.us, which reports most of those outages are happening in the Mid-Atlantic, the New England area, and the South. In North Carolina alone, almost 200,000 customers were without power. As expected, the blizzard over the Midwest formed into a bomb cyclone over Lake Erie and was moving east and expected to drop blinding snow from the northern plains all the way to New York State. Along the east coast, rain and winds could cause three feet of coastal flooding, with flash freezing and black ice possible. Hard freeze warnings were posted in parts of the southern states of Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Numbing cold intensified by high winds even extended to the U.S.-Mexico border, with wind chill temperatures reaching the single digits in the border city of El Paso, Texas. Severe winds, ice, and snow are also impacting air traffic during one of the busiest travel periods of the year. More than 4,000 U.S. flights were canceled Friday. It was estimated that over 100 million people would travel by car between Friday and January 2nd. However, that number is now expected to drop due to the storm. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill have sent the government funding bill for 2023 to the White House for President Biden to sign into law. Emergency money for Ukraine, increased funds for multiple federal agencies, and a variety of community projects. The total? Over $1.7 trillion. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with a closer look. The government funding levels for 2023 passed the House today on mainly a party line vote on a vote of 225 to 201. Just nine Republicans voted with Democrats to pass it. The majority of Republicans were opposed to it as expected. Uh, those Republicans say they feel this 4,000 page bill was rushed, will fuel inflation and also lacks investments in critical areas such as addressing the unprecedented surge at the southwest border. 
We're giving $410 million to five Middle Eastern countries for border security, while billions of dollars of our own border protection are prohibited. They're prohibited, Mr. Speaker, from being used to enhance border security. The bill does include a $3.2 billion increase for Homeland Security to create a more humane and safe environment for both non-citizens seeking asylum and our nation's dedicated frontline law enforcement managing our borders. Democrats calling the bill a successful end to a year filled with bipartisan victories. Yes, indeed, the goose is getting fat. We have a big bill here because we have big needs for our country. But there's funding for projects that some call irresponsible. For example, there's $2.35 million for the Leahy Center in Vermont, named after Senator Patrick Leahy. I mean, the bottom line is over 100 members on that side uh, requested community projects that were fully vetted. We're not questioning whether they're, whether they're good or not. Millions dedicated to projects like LGBTQ centers and museums in New York, infrastructure for electric vehicles in California, and a Michelle Obama trail in Georgia. In addition, tens of billions of dollars for Ukraine and a reform of election law. And President Biden today signed a continuing resolution to avoid a government shutdown over the holidays. He is expected to sign this $1.7 trillion government funding package into law after he returns after Christmas. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Senator Rand Paul today released his annual report on wasteful government spending. It's called the Festivus Report, and it shows federal spending waste totaling nearly half a trillion dollars. So, what makes up the nearly half a trillion dollars in wasteful spending? Well, the National Institutes of Health funded a $3 million annual research project to watch hamsters on steroids fight. There were $2.3 million spent on injecting beagle puppies with cocaine. Another $1.1 million were spent training mice to binge drink alcohol. And last but definitely not least, $100,000 were spent on researching whether Thanos could snap his fingers while wearing the Infinity Gauntlet. Paul's Festivus report is inspired by an episode of the 90s hit sitcom Seinfeld. The FBI is keeping silent on what other social media companies the federal agency gave money to. This after the FBI's payment to Twitter of almost $3.5 million was confirmed. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. A Twitter employee wrote in a February 2020 email that the company's Safety Content in Law Enforcement, or SCALE, had collected nearly $3.5 million in less than two years from the FBI. The payments were reportedly for law enforcement-related projects. The email stated that SCALE had set up a reimbursement program in exchange for devoting staff hours to processing requests from the FBI and was entitled, Run the Business, We Made Money. Kellyanne Conway addressed the FBI's activities on Fox News. This is frightening to me as an American citizen to think that this is going on under the guise of some official operation. Conway is concerned about the First Amendment implications. They're sitting on the scales of free speech. They're sitting on the scales of justice. FBI officials remarked that the government is required to reimburse reasonable costs and expenses associated with their response to a legal process and that money for complying with legal requests is standard procedure. 
The FBI officials also said that Twitter isn't the only social media company that the federal agency provides compensation to, saying, quote, we don't just reimburse Twitter. The officials refused to elaborate on what other companies the FBI reimburses. Rand Paul wrote on Twitter that the FBI paid Twitter to censor speech. This is strong evidence of the government employing a private entity to censor. Meanwhile, Kentucky Congressman James Comer says the FBI was never granted any authority to create a disinformation task force to police the social media sites. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. TikTok's parent company ByteDance admitted yesterday that some of its employees improperly accessed the user data of two journalists. The China-owned company says the people in question are no longer employed. The employees accessed the data as part of a failed effort to investigate leaks of company information earlier this year. According to internal sources, the aim was to identify potential connections between the two journalists and employees who were suspected of leaking information. The employees attempted to establish the journalists' location via their IP addresses. The admission comes after TikTok recently ramped up efforts to assure the U.S. government it won't be spying on U.S. citizens. That followed a proposal to bar federal employees from using the popular app on government devices. Yesterday, on the second and final day of the trial in Cary Lake's lawsuit against Maricopa County and Katie Hobbs, Attorneys exchanged blows in closing arguments. One argued there is no evidence. Another argued the facts don't lie. And yet another said you reap what you sow. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. On the second and final day of Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake's case against her opponent Katie Hobbs and others, attorneys closed out with explosive arguments. We saw evidence of a botched campaign. One of the two remaining claims Lake's attorneys must prove is that there was intentional interference with ballot tabulators. The two-day trial, live-streamed by Fox 10 Phoenix, ended on Thursday evening. On day one, Lake's team brought in information security expert Clay Parrick. He testified there was a 19-inch image of a ballot printed on 20-inch paper and that 14 out of 15 rejected ballots that he inspected contained a 19-inch image. Because... These ballot images are a PDF file, which gets stored along with configuration settings. That's what makes up the ballot style and the ballot definition. He said the 19-inch image could have been caused either by changing the printer adjustments or a change to the operating system, both of which he said couldn't be accidental. On day two, Hobbs' attorney brought in security expert Ryan Macias to counter Parikh's testimony. Um, so this is the ballot definition file created at the EMS, then I would anticipate to see that ballot style or ballot styles um, that have a 19-inch ballot in it to be printed on a 19, to be printed at a scale of 19 inches, regardless of where they were printed. He said a machine can malfunction due to human error, such as switching a setting when they should not have. In a Twitter post, Lake accused Macias of reading from a teleprompter. She said he testified from a room in the courthouse. Another witness was Maricopa County Election Co-Director Scott Jarrett, who testified on both days. We did identify three different locations that had a fit-to-paper setting that was adjusted on Election Day. He said temporary technicians changed the setting when they were trying to find solutions to problems, but no one directed them to do so. 
Lakes attorney Kurt Olson said his security expert randomly found that six out of six locations had the fit-to-paper issue. But Hobbs' team argued that Lake didn't have any evidence that changes were made intentionally. Even if Mr. Parikh had put his finger on the tech issue that happened on election day, the mere identification of the cause does not indicate that it was the result of, the in of an intent to alter the election. The judge said he needed to review everything thoroughly before giving a ruling. Arlene Richards, NTD News. After 18 months of investigation, the January 6th committee has released its final report. The authors accuse former President Trump of trying to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. January 6, 2021, the day the U.S. Capitol was breached. A committee was named after that day to investigate what happened. The selection of who was to serve on the January 6th committee was met with criticism, as seven of the nine members were Democrats, and the two Republicans are known for their opposition to former President Trump. After a year and a half of investigating, the committee has released its 814-page final report. The investigations were based on interviews of more than 1,000 witnesses, 10 hearings, and millions of pages of documents, including emails, text, and phone records. The authors of the report list 17 specific allegations, including that Trump was involved in a multi-part conspiracy to overturn the lawful results of the 2020 presidential election. The report also proposed 11 new laws to prevent another breach. In the vice chair of the January 6th committee's forward to the report, Congresswoman Liz Cheney said no man who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. A former deputy White House press secretary who served under Trump said on CNN that she agrees Trump should be barred from office. I do agree with that assessment. I think that the report shows that this was a very orchestrated effort by Trump and his co-conspirators to try to overturn the election and that on January 6th, it played out exactly how Donald Trump wanted it to. He sat by and um, watched as the riot unfolded and never once picked up the phone to try to call for help, even when his own VP was under attack. Former Vice President Pence was in the Capitol during the breach, and the Secret Service moved him to a secure location. Former President Trump responded on Truth Social, saying, The highly partisan, unselect committee report purposely fails to mention the failure of Pelosi to heed my recommendation for troops to be used in D.C., show the peacefully and patriotically words I used, or study the reason for the protest, election fraud, witch hunt. On Wednesday, five Republican congressmen released their own report on January 6th, highlighting the security failures at the Capitol that day. And the Epic Times released a documentary called The Real Story of January 6th. It says it reveals the truth that has been hidden from the American people. While a narrative has been set that what took place that day was an insurrection, key events and witnesses have been ignored until now. It can be viewed at theepictimes.com. Jason Perry. NTD News. And coming up in sports after the break, the Masters say they'll allow members from the controversial Live Golf League to play despite the prospect of protesters. NTD's Dave Martin examines both sides. And what are the highlights of Christmas around the world? We'll bring you some of the most special ways of celebrating when we come back.
Now for some holiday cheer. How is Christmas celebrated around the world? We bring you some of the most special Christmas highlights from across the Atlantic. Red, white, and green fireworks lit up the night sky of Bethlehem, drawing visitors to the biblical birthplace of Jesus. Next to the Church of the Nativity, hundreds of colored lights adorn a giant 50-foot Christmas tree. After two years of shutdown due to the pandemic, the city is grateful for the return of foreign visitors and local Christians. Our message from the municipality of Bethlehem to the whole world is that the spirit of Christmas should bring us together, bring us peace, and push us to work together for this city and our country. For kids on vacation, Copenhagen's Tivoli Gardens is just too good to miss. This year, hundreds of spruce trees, miles of reeds, and thousands of Christmas baubles decorate this 50-acre paradise. One of the oldest amusement parks in the world, Tivoli first opened its gates about 180 years ago. Among the early visitors was Hans Christian Andersen, Denmark's most famous writer. Walt Disney is said to have visited several times in the 1950s, hoping to draw inspiration for Disneyland. It's a place with a lot of tradition. You can, you can feel it when you're here. You can see the buildings are, are, are way back. When day turns to night, lights fill the park with a festive glow. Huge light projections illuminate Tivoli's Nimbu Hotel. It means so much. First of all, I like Tivoli because it's such a magical place. It's full of stories and the good vibes. And for us, it means to uh, spend quality time together with family and friends. Crowds gathered, counting down to the Christmas tree lights switching on. Though there was a joyful hiccup. And over in Germany, of its time-honored Christmas markets, the largest is this one in Nuremberg, Bavaria, with trumpeters and choirs singing along an angel announced her arrival in the city's cathedral. This ritual has been kept in the city since 1948. It's believed that the angelic figure will bring Christmas gifts to children. The Nuremberg Christmas market is also one of the oldest in Germany. Its origins dating back to the 17th century. And in Vienna, a sea of twinkling stars in front of the upper Belvedere Palace. With its stunning Baroque facade as a backdrop, the place is perfect to work some Christmas magic. Starting in mid-November, around 30 Christmas markets are open in this imperial city, including some in the palace courtyard. It feels great after two and a half years of pandemic to finally be able to organize and hold a Christmas market again without restriction and without control. It's another kind of merriment. In the heart of the Vatican's St. Peter's Square, an artistic nativity scene glows in the darkness of the winter night. The structure is built entirely of wood. Just a few steps away, 
a giant Christmas tree sets the mood for holiday cheer. The majestic white fir comes from Italy, taking its place in this decades-old tradition started by Pope John Paul II. Also boasting a Christmas tree, Budapest has a unique way of decorating it. The lights only come on when someone pedals hard. The city is canceling most of its regular Christmas lights this year due to the energy crisis. The energy bills are skyrocketing both for residents and for public institutions. Therefore, we wanted to create a lights decoration in the Mechwar Park this year, which is about saving costs, both symbolically and practically. Just as chic is the audio-visual mapping show in the Estonian capital. Themed Time Flies, it's projected on the City Hall building, with dancers and musicians performing on the main stage. The medieval surroundings of the old town and the traditional seasonal food invite visitors from far and wide. The city's Christmas market was voted the best in Europe in 2019. I really think so, that this is uh, in the world's most beautiful Christmas market. <laughs> and in Athens, mayors from around the world attended a grand lighting ceremony. New York City Mayor Eric Adams pressed the button to light the bulbs in the tree. Christmas from Athens of America, New York City. Happy holidays! <laughs> Athens's mayor called the ceremony a gesture of solidarity and peace. This is a difficult time. There's a war on our continent. We need to send a message, a strong message from Athens to the world that light will prevail over darkness. And finally, back in Midtown Manhattan on Saks Fifth Avenue, luxury retailer Bergdorf Goodman sends the message of magic in the making. Their windows showcase imagination and creativity. Macy's is spreading joy with the theme of Give Love. Their interactive window features bears in knitted sweaters and foxes in plaid, wishing all a wonderful Christmas. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Take it away, Dave. Thank you, Dawn. Augusta National, home of the Masters, announced this week that they'll continue to honor the tournament's automatic qualifications they've had for years. The announcement by Chairman Fred Ridley automatically qualifies 16 golfers, some based on previous wins, others based on world ranking points for their prestigious tournament. It could set the table for the U.S. Open, British Open and PGA Championship to follow suit. The decision, meanwhile, is a bit of a blow for the PGA in their ongoing battle against the upstart Live Golf League to attract the best players. The four majors operate outside the jurisdiction of the PGA, and this announcement seems to signal that they might all rather stay out of the conflict. The Saudi-funded Live Golf League has come under plenty of scrutiny as even Phil Mickelson himself, practically the face of their league, has criticized the Saudi government's record on human rights and even suspected them in the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, while others connect them to 9-11. James Ward, senior editor for Golf Today, told me the decision seemed inevitable, though it could be a bit of a lose-lose for the prestigious tournament. If the Masters wanted to take the high road on this and exclude Liv on moral grounds, their own spotty history could be thrown in their face. Well, the history on the golf side is good, but the history of being integrated into sport, totally different situation. I mean, you gotta keep in mind, Jackie Robinson played baseball 1947, 
Lee Elder played the Masters in 1975 as the first black. I mean, that is a huge difference in time. Yet Ward says having them play could bring protesters and uncomfortable questions from another point of view. How do you rationalize the fact that, you know, you're allowing players who are being financed completely through a, you know, a shell corporation that's funded by the Saudi government through the category of sports washing? And do you think the Masters is a conduit to give them credibility by playing here? I mean, that's not the kind of question Fred wants to hear. While Ward sees this ultimately as a win for Liv, he notes they still need their own tournaments to qualify for world ranking points if they're going to be able to sustain this. But even if they do, their unique 54-hole setup raises other issues. I would imagine there's going to be some prorated amount of points you would get anyway because you're not playing the standard 72 holes. Uh, it's sort of like baseball saying we're going to have a seven-inning game and count that as a nine-inning game. The Masters will be held April 6th through 9 next year in Augusta, Georgia. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has a whopping 14 games planned. The biggest of them might be the East leading Bucks taking on the Red Hot Nets. And for you hockey fans, the NHL has 11 games on tap, and that includes the Washington Capitals and winger Alex Ovechkin looking for career goal number 801, hosting the Winnipeg Jets. And that's it for sports news. Back to you, Don. Thank you, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Don Ma. And sincerely, from all of us here at NTD, happy holidays and good night.